0: Okay, criticize that one while I'm looking this thing up. Actually, give me, uh,
1: give me like ten seconds. I've, a cat just walked in here because my door wasn't closed, and I'm going to chase him out before he jumps into the microphone. Oh.
0: Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the Commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. With the fastest keystrokes in the West, I might add. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. My keystrokes are only marginally fast. (laughs) And I'm Joey Schultz, the slowest typist of all of us, the author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com along with some awesome featured community content such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. we got a lot of topics this week, boys. What are we going to be discussing today?
2: Everything. All the things under the sun.
0: (laughs) Definitely quite a lot, but the main thrust of today's episode will definitely be a Lord Windgrace deck tech. We want to take a look at that new commander from the Commander 2018 product, and maybe pick apart some of the cards that we think should be seeing play in Windgrace, and some that maybe shouldn't be seeing play in Windgrace. But before we get there, I have a pretty funny story about Commander 2018. I recently got... To, you know, open up all the decks, play with a bunch of my friends, we're still keeping the pre-cons together for a short while so that we can actually, you know, get a feeling for the pre-con environment, so to speak. But one of them, one of my friends apparently really massively misunderstood the card Amanatu, the Fate Shifter. You know how Amanatu, that Esper top deck manipulator girl, like, she's really creepy looking, she, uh, she can let you draw a card and then put any card in your hand back on top of your deck? Well, one of my friends was apparently under the impression that Amanatu's ability was actually put a card from your hand back on top of your deck, then draw a card. <laughs> Which isn't terribly good. Yeah. No, not not really. <laughs> Even Alhamerett's archive does not actually help that interaction a whole lot. It I unironically, he did it three different times. He attempted to do it in that order rather than the actual order. It was I mean, I thought it was very embarrassing <laughs> for him, but I had a great time with it.
1: Yeah, that's pretty impressive.
0: It was uh, <laughs> it was definitely a hoot. He couldn't, Dana, I think he, you've could, also...
1: he couldn't figure out why everyone was like hyping the Samanatu card. He's like, this is terrible.
0: <laughs> what does this do? This does nothing. I'm just spinning my wheels here. Uh, Dana, I believe you also have a pretty cool story about Commander 2018. Um, yeah, it, it was
1: um, in a Lord Windgrace deck I was playing against this weekend and um, I had suggested to my friend who was playing it since, you know, he's doing a lot of landfall stuff and ramping, like just put Sylvan Awakening in as a win condition because you can attack with your lands, you know, kill somebody and they have indestructible so you're not worried about someone board wiping, um, which is usually a problem.
0: Sylvan Awakening. That's like the three-man Dominarian. I think it's from Dominaria. Spell that turns all of your lands into tutus. Two Tutu two two
1: creatures with indestructible and
0: reach. That's right. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, well, there's one more important part to that card, but it's a part that I had forgotten about, and, and he had as well. Which says until your next turn, which is nice if you want to keep a couple of lands back as indestructible blockers. However, in this case, um, he attacked and killed one person, and then like did enough damage to me and somebody else to take us both down to you know ten ish. And it came back to me, and then he reminded me that his lands are still creatures until the end of turn, or until his next turn, which I had forgotten about. However, I had a Gideon Champion of Justice in my hand that I had been not playing because at that point in the game, nobody had any creatures out, and Gideon's, his plus uh, his plus one is put a loyalty counter on Gideon Champion of Justice for each creature target opponent controls. Ooh. So I hadn't been playing him because I, I had other things going on and it just hadn't had been met a point. Well, he, all his lands are now creatures until his next turn. So I was able to play Gideon and put, I think, 19 or 20 counters on him because of all the lands. And I also had a Chain Veil in play. Oh, no. That seems, which, seems pretty <laughs> good. Which, which let me then do his minus 15, which is exile all other permanents. And then I had a Gideon sitting... That's, you've-
0: <laughs> just, so which is Joanne. the
1: dream scenario with Gideon Champion of Justice. That's the only good scenario yeah.
0: with Gideon Champion of Justice. That's one of like the almost Tybalt-esque yes. planeswalkers. It's just really not great. You found the one use case where it's actually really solid. I
1: did indeed. So then I was able to exile all the stuff and just everyone's like, oh, well, that's going to be game because Gideon was left 4-4 or something with the counter still on him, and then I had floated mana before doing his ult, so I was able to cast a couple other things as well before firing off his ult. So, yeah, that was me actually winning a game with Gideon, Champion of Justice,
2: thanks to Sylvan Awakening. Dang, that's intense.
0: Matt, do you have any other cool stories of games you've played recently?
2: I have no cool stories, because I was up in the mountains camping last weekend, so while everybody else was playing... With their nerd cards, I was out in nature getting sunburnt on my fragile pale skin.
0: So while Dana was playing against a Nature's Vengeance precon deck, you were up against the actual nature's vengeance in the was, form of a sunburn.
2: Yes. But it was super cool because I got to watch the meteor shower and that was that was pretty gnarly. So no magic for me, but yeah, That is pretty cool. But yeah, it was, it was still a good weekend, still got to uh go out and feel the wind grace my face.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Lord Wind, grace us with your presence. You're
2: welcome.
1: <laughs> and, uh, you know, Meteor Shower's a good card, too.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay, Comic Storm
1: is <laughs>
2: even better. Comet Storm is better, you're right. Luckily, we didn't get one of those.
0: Because right.
2: <laughs> Bruce Willis stopped all that from happening years ago.
0: Okay, we need to be done with all of that. We've got one other pretty cool announcement. Matt, you recently put together an MTG Goldfish account for the EDHREC cast because a couple of listeners have been asking to see our personal EDH decks. So we're going to be putting all of our EDH decks Onto that account, so that you can take a look at the different stuff that we've been brewing, such as the previous Nigila live brew episode that we did. We'll have that deck on that account, and then we'll also make sure that you know the Lord Windgrace deck that we come up with today. That'll be there. Uh, all of my favorite reanimation stuff, like Marin and Mimeoplasm I'll make sure that it's on that as well. And then, of course, you can see Matt and Dana's lame decks as well if you, you know you feel like you really want to. Uh, but yeah, that'll be something that we can definitely link in the show notes so that people can get a get a good feel for how we tend to play the game and cards that we think are good enough to run on our own personal deck stuff like that yeah, yeah for sure and,
2: and we can talk about our decks one of the reasons that i wanted to do that for us was a you know obviously a bunch of you listeners you've been asking us you know can i check out this deck by you and oh do you have a list to you know so and so's deck and i mean it's fine that you know we can link everything individually but just give everybody kind of a one-stop shop and just we can talk about our deck building process but then you know we talk about all the time with the website we can talk about specific cards uh, specific you know, tendencies that we have. But when you zoom out a little bit and see the entire decks, uh, we think it's a little more helpful. So yeah, we just want everybody to be able to track that a little bit better and uh, you know, do you guys a
0: solid. Yeah, it's definitely really fun. All right, we've got another thing to mention and that is the current bet results. You know how we all made a bet about which of the Commander 2018 commanders would be the most popular. Yeah, we're all losing.
2: Yeah, we're not doing a lot.
0: And that's actually why we're going to be discussing Lord Windgrace, because he is neck and neck with Amanatu the Fate Shifter as the number one most built commander from Commander 2018. Matt had previously guessed Estrid, I had guessed Tuvasa, and then Dana had guessed Yuriko, and um, well, I'm I'm losing really hardcore. I think I'm in sixth place, which isn't great. Uh, But, you know, Estrid is actually a pretty... Good pick, Matt, because Estrid is currently in third place behind the tying Aminatsu and Lord Windgrace. So congrats for that one. And then right behind that is Yuriko, in fact. So you guys are definitely better at this than I am, um, which which isn't a fun feeling. Well, we, like. we
2: had a conversation on Twitter about this, that, you know, it's, it's not really gambling when you're gambling against Joey. <laughs>
0: hey, hey I,
1: I would like to also point out, though that Estrid being in third place, that is the face commander of that deck. So there is the precon effect in play there a little bit where someone may just have entered their stock deck in, whereas Eureko, you have to specifically build a two-color deck that's <laughs> not part of the standard loadout for that deck. And I'm in fourth place for that. That's pretty good for one that people have to specifically intend to build that deck.
2: Well, you know what, Dana? actually a good
1: point,
0: Yeah.
2: You know, I would say, you know what? We we weren't really betting quality, we were betting quantity, so <laughs> All right, nanny
0: nanny fair. boo-boo. But it is impressive, as we've noticed on our couple of different pre-con evaluation episodes, like with the pre-con effect, we do usually see that the face commanders tend to get a lot of the spotlight. So it is impressive that Yuriko, which is not even just a secondary or a tertiary commander from the Amanatu deck, but a completely bonus commander, separate only two colors of the three possible from that deck. Like it is pretty impressive to see that she's getting as much play as she is. So that's pretty cool. So we're going to be talking about Lord Windgrace because he is, well, confession time, Aminatu currently has 122 decks and Lord Windgrace currently has 121 decks at time of recording. But since I just uploaded my personal Lord Windgrace deck to our MTG Goldfish account, it's going to be 122. So they're definitely tied. And I'm going to personally (laughs) declare this (laughs) a a moral victory because Lord Windgrace is the deck that I built. So even if I lost on the Tuvasa front, I'm still really happy that Lord Windgrace is getting as much play as he is. So, I mean, it's a moral victory, guys.
1: Well, Joey, just so you know, I opened it up after you did those initial show notes and Lord Windgrace had bumped into first place. However, I just literally right now hit refresh, and is back up by one.
0: (laughs) Well, we've already got the show notes in place. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be discussing what is definitely one of the popular commanders from Commander 2018.
2: Joey, even when you win, Joey, you don't actually win. Right. I... uh,
0: (laughs) No Tuvasa for me apparently even Lord Wingrazon just barely gotten there. Ah, I I will it will happen someday. It will be episode like 97,000 or something but I will get there. Joey
2: you'll Joey you'll eventually win by the blind squirrel theory. Just every blind squirrel finds a nut sooner or later.
0: That's a really peculiar phrase.
2: You've never heard that? You should have grown up in Kansas and you would have
1: <laughs> Heard that a little bit more, or not, or or not have grown up in Kansas. Either way, there's there's pros yeah, you, and cons to having grown up in Kansas. I guess that if means the you didn't have to is, go, You'll yeah, know yeah. the squirrel finds a nut phrase. The con is the con list is probably longer than that. You you grew up in Kansas, yeah, <laughs> right.
0: Okay, we've got one last thing before we actually get to the Windgrace deck tech, and that is the pre-con upgrade feature. This is something we've actually discussed on a previous episode, but it is finally out. Nate Burgess has helped put together a pre-con upgrade guide for each of the featured commanders from not just the commander decks from Commander 2018, but all of the previous commander decks. So you can look at Kalio, you can look at Mamioplasm, you can look at Zedru, you can look at Marin, you can look at Mizx, you can look at Ulro, you can look at all of them. All that data is there. This is a really awesome feature to use to see what cards from the precon have most often been cut, and what cards have most often been put into that precon. And we're actually going to be using that same precon upgrade guide here while we talk about our Lord Windgrace deck tech. Have you guys used this feature yet? Even though it just came out, have you gotten a chance to take a look around it? Because I mean, it's it's taken up a lot of my morning actually, just poking around through it. Because it's really cool to see the stuff that people are, are taking out and putting back in and stuff like that.
2: Well, some of us work during the week, so I have not had a chance to. (laughs) Some of us work during the week, but
1: we are in charge of our internet blocking and then can thus get around that and have no one know that we're screwing around at work. Um, so yes, I did in fact look at it uh, quite a bit today. <laughs> it, it's pretty cool. I like this a lot actually, because part of the problem I think newer players playing precons have, and we discussed, you know, the precon effect, like you see the card that stays in a deck because someone posted their precon online and you assume it must be good. And this kind of is a way to combat that where you can look at it and they go, oh, Well, this you know, card does have a lot of copies in the Lord Windgrace deck, but it's also the most removed. Well, maybe it's the most removed for a reason.
0: Yeah, exactly. In pre-cons, they tend to be a little bit divided. We saw this, for example, with the Enala Archmage Ritualist deck. She had a bunch of cards for Wizard Triple, but she also had a bunch of spells for Kest Dissident Mage, who has a weird flashback ability. And then there were also a bunch of artifacts and such for Maersil the Pretender. So that deck was kind of all over the place. So this is a really quick glance, a really nice thing to just click and see what kind of cards that don't necessarily synergize with the commander and all that I actually want to use, what cards are being taken out, and more importantly, what cards should I be replacing those with? How can I, you know, take away that kind of scrambled feeling and actually focus in on that particular theme? It's a really quick, fast, if you're just you've just picked up a brand new deck, you can absolutely just go right on there and it will give you a really good starting point. And Nate Burgess has also, just today at the time of recording, he's released an article talking about the precon upgrade feature. So, y'all should definitely go check out Nate's article where he walks you through where to find that feature and how to use it and stuff like that. It's definitely really, really cool.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's fun just to, I mean, even if you're not like actively going to use it for a deck that you're working on, just browsing through it and seeing kind of what people's thoughts are on certain cards. I mean, you're not getting specific like notes or anything, but just like, oh, man, this card is removed a lot. I wonder why that is. Just seeing the, the kind of thinking of deck builders as a whole is
0: just interesting. Absolutely. So let's move on now to the Lord Windgrace deck tech. As a quick review, let's go over what Lord Windgrace actually does. He's a five-mana Jund Commander. That's two black, red, green. He's got five loyalty and... His first ability for this awesome Planeswalker Black Panther cat guy. It's a plus two. Discard a card, then draw a card. If a land card is discarded this way, draw an additional card. Definitely got some really cool persistent value there. He's got a minus three. Return up to two target land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Really, really cool. And minus 11. Destroy up to six target non-land permanents, then create six 2-2 green cat warrior creature tokens with forest walk. And, of course, Lord Windgrace can be your commander. I really, really dig this awesome Planeswalker, but when you guys first saw Windgrace, what were your first impressions?
2: I kind of thought it was a little bit of, you know, spin your wheels, don't do a whole lot, actually. Um, I was kind of unimpressed uh, for a couple episodes back. I was talking about building of a Victus Asmati deck, and I was like, well, I better hold out because, you know, this Jund land matters, you know, this might be kind of cool, something I want to do. Um, so when I first saw Lord Windgrace, I was a little unimpressed. I will say though that he has grown on me. The more that I've looked at, looked at him, uh, I think I just was expecting the same type of deck out of those two different commanders, and that was kind of silly of me. But Wind Grace has grown on me. I still don't know if he's something that I personally would build, but I do see a lot of the value there. I was a little un, impre- I still am a little unimpressed with his ultimate. I thought it was going to be something a little more unique, I guess. But I still do think he's a, a good and uh, probably has a lot of play to him as far as being a commander goes.
1: Um, I'll agree with Matt here. My biggest complaint is his ult. Um, I wish it was something a little more landfall based uh, versus just kind of a value generator. But I like him quite a bit. I liked him a lot when I first saw him too. It's kind of what I would have wanted from a Jung landfall deck. I have a um, red, green Mina and Den landfall deck. And it feels very similar to that. Like Mina and Den is not the centerpiece of the deck. It's just a value generator. And... I like that from a from a commander. And Win Grace is that. He's he's not what wins you the game. He's just a really nice piece that plays nicely with your other pieces in the deck. He generates you value when you play him. And he's also not that threatening. People, I mean, are gonna hit him because people tend to hit planeswalkers, but he's also not that kind of thing where you absolutely feel you need to remove it or you're gonna lose the game, which kind of might help him stick out there a little bit longer, generating you more value.
2: Yeah, he is a little unassuming.
0: I I, I can definitely see that, although that ultimate is pretty intense. And actually, while it is kind of funny, his first two abilities do stuff with lands and his last one doesn't necessarily, I actually do kind of like that disconnect. Just for me personally, I feel like his two abilities have got the land stuff that I need covered, where I'm definitely going to be able to get the value that I need and make sure if I need additional landfall effects or something, he can just bring them right back to the graveyard after he tossed them there. And... What I've encountered sometimes in any landfall shenanigans that I've been doing, what I actually need to close out the game is to get crap out of my way, because I've already got my bunch of Bayloth 4-4 tokens or something, and I just need to make sure that there aren't any blockers in my way that are going to stop my huge landfall-caused army. And so I thought that that was kind of pretty cool. We definitely got some different opinions on Windgrace here, but I think we probably all have the same opinion about his preconstructed deck. We're going to take a look now just at the uh, actual precon list to compare it to the precon upgrade feature, which we'll be using to discuss in the deck deck. This, uh, this, I mean, we talked about some pretty scrambled or scattered pre-cons earlier. Just, I mentioned offhand uh, Inala, for example, but I think this might be one of the more scattered pre-con lists that I've ever seen for this commander.
2: Yeah, this one was very much maligned by this, the common player base. Yeah, this definitely felt like one of the
1: 2013 decks or something because back then they were much more disparate in terms of the commanders i mean it wouldn't have felt weird coming out in like 2013 or something but at this point in time i think we're a little more used to um some more cohesion in the decks and i think that's what caught people off guard more than anything
0: right it is a whole lot of I don't know, one of the things that I notice are a lot of cards that I would be really happy to pull back out of the graveyard, which kind of makes me wonder if Jyrus Waker of Corpses was actually kind of one of the secret real good commanders for this particular pre-con list. But yeah, while there are some really admirable landfall related cards such as Turn Timber Sower or the new Nesting Dragon, and hey, we did get a pretty awesome reprint with Avenger of Zendikar, like there are some neat landfall cards there, but the entire deck does need a bit of tuning, that's for sure. So then we can turn to our cool precon upgrade feature and take a look at some of the cards that we see most frequently added to Lord Windgrace's deck and some of the cards that we see most frequently taken out of that deck. Dana, do you want to walk us through some of those picks?
1: So if you look at the, the cards to add feature when you go into um, precon and see what things that are suggested here, right away there's a whole list of things that are basically staples in kind of landfall decks in the past, starting with basically the two premier uh, kind of landfall commanders we've had in the last two years, and probably just in general in Omnath, Locus of Rage and the Getrag Monster, those are in um, more of this Lord Grace deck than any other cards. Those are the high, the, the the premier suggested adds to this deck are the two previous kind of big landfall commanders.
0: Absolutely. 68% of decks are adding in Omnath, 65% are adding in Gitrog Monster. Heck, I'd argue that those two cards are actually the reason that Lord Windgrace exists at all. Because those two, not being able to be run in the same deck, is what caused people to want a Jund lands deck in the first place.
1: Yeah, and and in particular, I'd say even uh, that's also a factor. But in addition to that, those two commanders and how they're designed tend to force you down a fairly linear build path. I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but a few months back, um, Don Miner at EDHREC pulled some data showing the commanders with the least variance among their builds. So, like, this commander has the most cards in, in common in its deck. So most decks look the same. So least variants. Um, and of that list of the top 20 commanders with the least variants, 19 of them were um, tribal decks. So that makes sense. If you're, you know, playing Merfolk tribal, you're going to have... A bunch of Merfolk, it's gonna just give you little or no variance. The only one that wasn't a tribal deck was Gitrog Monster. Because that build path is so linear, it's telling you exactly what to put in that deck to get that combo win. So it kind of prevented you from doing landfall stuff because it was so good running down that build path. And in this case, by able to, by plugging that into this Lord Windgrace deck. You're able to still run Gitrog Monster and still kind of use it as a value engine, but you're also not really pressured to build that standard Gitrog Monster deck.
0: Yeah, that data report that you mentioned about the degree of variance among decks, that was really fascinating to me. I had a Gitrog monster deck, I mean, before I switched over to Lord Windgrace, of course, and I always felt while I was playing it that that deck had some of the most variance because it, it, no matter what situation I ran into, if they destroyed my creatures, I would still be able to win with a Retreat to Hagra or with a some really cool life loss or, you know, if they were able to exile my graveyard, I'd still be able to pull out this huge big mana combo for whatever here. I just felt like no matter what, the deck was so flexible that I'd be able to still win. But that data definitely doesn't lie. Even though the deck itself was really slippery and had a lot of different methods towards going to the the win condition, the actual cards that I had in common with other people's rug monster decks were incredibly high. Like very little variance. All of the cards you know, the, the Gitrog monster deck is going to have a lot in common with other Gitrog monster decks certainly more than we see among other commanders which is definitely pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it's also a deck that's going to push you maybe in some directions to run cards that take advantage of the Gitrog monster that maybe don't really do much with landfall. And I think Omnath is a bit the same way. There's a lot of cards that you want to run in an Omnath Focus rage deck to be able to at will sacrifice those tokens and blow somebody up or um, make elemental tokens and moss that you can sacrifice. And I think a lot of those slots in Omneth decks also maybe soaked up your ability to do true landfall stuff. Whereas by putting those two in the Windgrace deck, I think you're also kind of, by not having to dedicate the deck so much to building around that commander, it's letting people throw in that Oracle of Maldaya way easier or that Wayward tooth way easier so you can do more Landfall stuff versus kind of do what the commander specifically wants you to do
0: yeah definitely a lot there we've got some other interesting cards that the pre-con upgrade guide mentions are getting most frequently added to a Windgrace deck Matt do you want to walk us through a few more of those
2: yeah, so two of the top five cards are per- two of my personal favorites um, that have come out recently: Up uh, Excavator and then Tireless Tracker. Uh, two just the most value basic or value centric, I should say, uh, green creatures. Up uh, Excavator, obviously, it's it's two and a green for a two three Naga Cleric. Uh, you can play lands from your graveyard. It's just a Crucible of Worlds as a creature and if there's anything green likes to do it's get creatures out on the battlefield so being able just to recur all those lands that you're putting into your graveyard say you activate lord Windgrace's ability discard a land you can just play it next turn or that turn even so you get a lot of value there and this tireless tracker is also two and a green for a three two human uh whenever you whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control you investigate which is that that's the from Shadow's Block where you put a uh, clue token into play and you can pay two mana and sacrifice that clue and you draw a card. So just another way for Lord Windgrace to draw lots of card and then uh, whenever you sacrifice a clue you put a plus one plus one counter on Tireless Tracker. Uh, So he turns into a beater really quick too especially if you're playing lots of lands playing multiple lands per turn. Um, So just two of those value creatures. I love them. I put them in almost any green deck that I have in general. So it's really cool to see those showing up especially with something that you know, Lord Windgrace lands matter with this entire deck. Um, those are two great creatures that you can play early on that just give you a lot of synergy and play into that
0: game plan that Lord Windgrace wants to do. Yeah, there's a lot to like on this cards to add uh, page that we're seeing. We've also got another really common one that's added to Lord Windgrace. There's another Planeswalker, Nissa Force, The five mana, five loyalty Planeswalker from, I believe this one was the original Kaladesh, or it might be the yes. second one in the Kaladesh? Kaladesh. It remember. was Kaladesh. It was Kaladesh perfect. The thing that really matters about her is that her emblem, which is really easy to get to because she starts at five but ults at six, uh, you get an emblem that says whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. So that's another really great place to get a bunch more value. Dana, Mina, and Den also shows up among one of the most popular cards to add to War... Lord Windgrace so I mean it's really nice to see your uh, commander deck there too as well one of my other personal favorites Splendid Reclamation which returns all lands from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped my total bay Titania Protector of Argoth who makes lands whenever excuse me who makes uh, creatures whenever your lands die like I love seeing her too like a bunch of my classic favorites from that Gitrog deck have definitely been ported over into this Windgrace page so that's really really cool to see
2: yeah this whole top page is kind of a mishmash of all the the good jund. Cards that all three of us just joint
0: happen to like a lot. (laughs) Well, and it's kind of neat, too, because one of the things whenever a new commander deck comes out, whenever a new legendary creature arrives, one of the things that I will frequently do when I'm taking a look at, you know, what should I do with this commander? I'll go to EDH rec and I'll find similar-ish commanders to this new legend and try and get inspiration from them. So it definitely seems like people are doing that with Lord Windgrace because they're getting inspiration from Gitrog Monsters page. They're getting inspiration from Mina and Den's page. They're probably even getting inspiration from Titania's page. So it's really neat to see that people are getting their inspiration there and definitely making the deck that they want with all of this landfall stuff and taking away that sort of scrambled feeling from the precon. But in adding cards in, we have to have some cards to take out. So let's move on now to that section. Dana, what are some of the cards that we see most frequently cut from the Lord Windgrace Precon?
1: Well, number one right away is Loyal Subordinate, and number two is Loyal Apprentice. So both the um, Loyal Lieutenant cards um, are getting yanked right away. Um, the first one, Loyal Subordinate, is the black one, and it says at the beginning of combat in your turn, if you control your commander, each opponent loses three life, which I think is just a generally unassuming effect. I don't know if it's a bad card necessarily, but. If you're looking to add that Splendor Reclamation to your deck or something, that's just a really obvious, easy pull. You're like, oh, that that, that effect was very minimal, you know, three damage a turn. Yeah, I'm going to pull it. And then with Loyal Apprentice, I like Loyal Apprentice a lot, but like, all oh, it does is make a 1-1 Thopter. That's clearly the kind of card that was made for the artifact deck, and it happens to be in here. But um, it's just not an impactful enough effect in this particular deck for you to keep it in. So those are the first two things people are pulling out.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I can't really say that I'm mad about seeing those go away. I actually really like the Loyal Subordinate card. In the right deck, say, for example, Mogus, God of Slaughter, that seems oh, like yeah. actually kind of a win condition. Or even, I think... It came in the Amanatu pre-con as well, and I actually kind of really like it there because it's a way to end the game while you can still hold up any control or counter magic or something like that. I like win conditions that you don't have to put too much effort into for them to slowly and inexorably lead you towards victory. So that is a cool card. It just doesn't have anything to do with the actual themes that we're pursuing here for Lord Windgrace. The same is true for our next card that we see cut most often, and that's Blood Tracker. The four mana 2-2 two, two vampire wizard with flying that says pay a black mana and two life to put a plus one counter on it. And when it leaves the battlefield, you draw a card for each counter on it, which is a really cool card. I just slapped that right into my Rehan and Ishai deck because I love plus one counters, and this seems like a great way to get some card advantage. But it has got nothing to do with Lord Windgrace. He just doesn't really need this. He'd much rather be playing a splendid reclamation or something to that effect. So not sorry to see that one cut. However, we do see Zendikar Incarnate is being pretty much cut from a lot of these. In fact, going through the percentages. We can see that all of these are above 70%. Loyal Subordinate was cut from 82% of Windgrace decks so far. Loyal Apprentice was cut from 79 Blood Tracker also cut from 79 And cut from 74% of decks is Zendikar Incarnate, which actually is a Land Matters card. So this is a pretty interesting data point, I think. Zendikar Incarnate is a 2 red and green for a star 4. It's an elemental that says its power is equal to the number of lands you control. I mean, that seems right on the money for a land-based deck, right? But it's being cut. Why is that?
1: Um, well, I'm going to throw a theory out there. It's one of the f- – when Command Zone actually did their breakdown of this deck, they that was one of the first cards they had said to pull out. So it wouldn't surprise me if at least a chunk of the people pulling that card from the deck are because they saw that on Command Zone. And I strongly disagree. Do you really? I think that's a really, really good card in the deck. Now, it depends. So so here's the thing. There's kind of two ways people tend to go with these landfall decks. You either go with creatures that get big like this or like the new uh, Multani or – There's a couple different variants on this. The the thing that you can blood rush whose name is escaping me right now. Um, uh, Rebel Hulk. Rebel Hulk. So you, you can either go with those kind of creatures or you can go with the things that oftentimes make tokens on a landfall effect. So people can either go wide or you can go tall. Um, so if you're going wide, if you're like focusing on – all of the Spore Mound kind of effects or the Baloths that make tokens, Angry Omnath, then I guess this this isn't really that important. But if you've got a lot of the go-tall creatures in your deck, you probably also are running things like Momentous Fall and Life's Legacy and Greater Good. And man, being able to cast an overrun, was Endicarn and Out and make all your dudes 16-16. Oh, just you mean
0: uh, Overwhelming Stampede? Or
1: Overwhelming Stampede, excuse me, yeah. Or being able to just Life's Legacy it and draw 16 cards two mana or um being able to berserk it which we mentioned on I think last week's show or the show before um as an underplayed card and, and just one shot somebody. I think it's for four mana it provides so much value if your deck is being built around
0: go tall creatures that um I think it should stay in the deck for sure. Matt, what about you? I'm not sure that I quite agree with Dana but what are your thoughts?
2: I I'm I'll be the middle ground again as as per usual. <laughs> Um, I played Zendikar Incarnate in my angry Omnath deck for a little bit. I was never really impressed. It was fine, like sure it would get you know to dealing damage pretty quick, but also it only has four toughness, and in that four that four mana spot, it's just really crowded. That's where you're either you know you're getting into your payoff cards, or you know in a land matters deck like this, you're gonna have a lot of mana. You're gonna have a lot of lands. It's just what the deck is looking to do. So, you know, you get to the mid game, you top deck a four drop, doesn't have trample by itself. It, you know, only has four toughness, so it's not a great blocker. It just, it I don't know, it, it never really did enough for me. Yes, it scales very well to late game if you're able to push damage through, um, or even if you just fling it and deal, you know, damage equal to its power. Stuff like that, I think, is fine. I just... Sure, you can get a critical mass, but unless you're running a lot of effects to give it some sort of evasion or push damage through, it's gonna trade down with a lot of creatures. Like you, I mean, I can't count the games that I had it die to a token because they had some way to buff up a token, and my you know 12 power creature got chunk blocked
0: and died. So th- I think that's sort of where I'm falling on it too. The fact that it has no natural evasion, even trample does kind of put me off of Zendikar Incarnate a little bit. I do like the idea that Dana puts forward, especially with cards like Multani, or even that new Crash of Rhino Beetles is actually kind of neat because it gets huge with very minimal extra input on your part. But we can actually see in this whole cards to cut section that cards like Zendikar Incarnate are definitely being cut. So we've got a whole bunch of cards like the Loyal Apprentice that uh, don't have a lot to do with the Landfall strategy, later down the page you've also got that emissary of grudges or fury storm or soul of Innistrad, gyrus wake of corpses a lot of these sort of weird graveyardy sort of related value cards are being cut from this deck quite a bit but also some landfall cards or land adjacent cards are being cut like the zendikar incarnate another example is borderland explorer it's a two mana three one that lets everyone discard a card to go find a land when it enters the battlefield retreat to hagra is being cut from 44 percent of decks as well and that's got a landfall effect of each opponent losing one life and you gain one life bailout woodcrasher a six mana four four that gets plus four plus four and trample every time that you get a land into play that's also being cut. Scoot mob, one mana, one, one that gets plus four, plus four permanently every time it's your upkeep and you've got more than five lands. Like a lot of these big go tall sort of landfall effects definitely seem to be in cut. So I think that's telling us, sort of Dana, what you were talking about, that a lot of people are... Airing more on the side of those Omnath tokens and maybe those Titania tokens, the uh, Rampaging Baloth, the pretty classic landfall effects that create stuff when you get lands, rather than the cards that individually go tall with that deck. So that's one of the really cool observations that we can have using this feature.
2: Yeah, it, it's more people are trying not to put all their eggs in one basket, which it's fine. That's a, that's a perfectly valid way to build it. You know, some people like, yeah. like you said, Joey, some people want to go wide, some people want to go tall. I'm actually kind of surprised that the Baloth Woodcrasher... Uh, is getting cut because you play a land and it instantly comes an 8-8 with trample you play a fetch land it's a 12 12 with trample so i'm surprised that one that one's getting cut a little bit um skew mob it, it's just so cute why would you want to get rid of it ever <laughs> but skew mob just it that's great at incidental just you play a one drop it's not going to set you back terribly far and you just kind of sit and let it do its thing so there's a couple in there that i was kind of surprised are getting cut but I mean, there's no one way to build it. Like like we've talked about two pretty quickly here. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of different ways that you can take the deck. And I think just a lot of people are kind of focusing on one specifically. But there's still, you know, 60% of people are still playing the Woodcrasher. Uh, 50% are still playing like Gyrus or, or Retreat to or stuff like that. So it's not all across the board. I, I just hope everybody listening doesn't get the impression that everybody's doing this one thing. And that's not the case at all.
0: Right, these are just the most commonly taken out cards, but we, you know, it is kind of a drop off. We mentioned that you know, 82% of decks are losing the loyal subordinate, but yeah, only 41% of decks are losing the uh, the woodcrusher. So there is definitely a lot of variance on this page. So Dana, you disagreed with the Zendikar Incarnate removal. Are there some other cards that you're seeing on the, uh, the pre con upgrade guide that you see that are being added that you disagree with, or some other cards that are being cut that you disagree with as well? What are some of your thoughts that you see here? What are cards that you think should stay in a, a good Wind Grace deck?
1: Well, for cards that I think are added, which we talked about the list earlier, uh, I'm not a fan of the number one card in the list, which is Omnath Locus of Rage.
0: Oh, Th- them's big words, bro. <laughs> Go ahead. So I,
1: i've played omnath that's what my mean and den deck was initially um and omnath's a really good card and he does a lot of really really powerful things but like kind of as i mentioned before you have to to really take advantage of omnath you need to build around him you need to have x amount of sack outlets probably you need to have you know, token generators, whether it's Tempest of Vengeance or Firecat Blitz, to really, like, build him as efficiently as he can be built. That's not to say he's not a fine landfall commander, but he really wants to do other things that aren't necessarily built around landfall. And I think you can't do those things in this deck. You aren't going to want to run a bunch of elemental token generators, probably, in your Lord Windgrace deck. You're probably not going to want to have six or seven sack outlets to make sure you always have on, one on board so you can dome somebody... With that, uh, you know, those nine fire cab Blitz tokens you made. And on top of that, man, he costs seven mana. And it's double mana symbols in red and green. That's really, that's difficult to get out in a three-color deck. It's difficult to get out and then do anything with it that turn. If you want to play Omnath and then get a Landfall trigger in the same turn, you have to wait until you have more mana than he costs to cast to cast him and then do landfall thing to make some tokens. And you probably can't sacrifice those tokens in this deck at will. You're going to have to wait till they die as chump blockers to do damage. So I, I just don't think that casting cost for what he's going to do in this deck is going to be worth it most of the time.
0: Okay. Well, I I, I totally disagree with you, but you're allowed to have incorrect opinions. That's fine. I mean, I I, uh, I
1: don't even run him I mean in my and deck anymore. He's came out of that deck because he was so ineffective so often.
0: Wow. That's... I'm, I'm. Oh, I'm shocked. Uh, I, I do really like Omnath in this deck. I, I do like the pretty the, those, those classic like I play a land and I get a token type of cards, and sort of to your point with the uh, such as the Zendikar Incarnate which gets bigger for every land that you have. I feel like in a deck like this we're pretty frequently going to have enough lands to both play Omnath and also get some extra effects out of them. And I guess I don't feel as though you need the sacrifice outlets that allow you to uh, sacrifice those elementals and hurl the damage at people. Uh, for Omnath to still be really efficient. And even then, I also think that in this particular deck, slapping down an Omnath at seven mana and then using the minus three ability on Lord Windgrace to get two lands, which could also be fetch lands. Like Lord Windgrace does not return those lands tapped, so you could sacrifice a Terramorphic Expanse in an Evolving Wild and get like four triggers right off the bat. I think that that's actually a pretty decent line of play. And if the worst case scenario is that you can't sacrifice those creatures, but you've got a bunch of five fives that deal more damage when they die, that sounds really cool to me. But I do also think that I hear what you're saying with regards to like, this is slightly a different style of deck than what you necessarily like. You pr- much prefer it sounds like those go tall rather than the go wide, which I, I can totally see that. I guess I would want to have a mix of both. And that's from my personal Grace build. That's sort of I tried to add in both like Multani and Omnath effects. But really what I think this is getting down to, and this is a discussion that we'll have a little bit later in the show as well. I think one of the key points here is that an Omnath deck is fundamentally different than a Lord Windgrace deck. And of the deck tech, I think this is probably the most important point for us to hammer home. Lord Windgrace, he does not have any inherent landfall abilities. And a lot of us that have been playing landfall decks like Gitrog or like Omnath, we're used to them being honestly pretty explosive. We'll slap down that commander, do a bunch of land stuff, and get like eight different triggers off in the same turn based off of the way that we've built that deck. But that's not how Lord Windgrace do. He gradually discards cards, gets you value, returns a couple of lands. He's a lot slower. He's very, very gradual. So that style of play where you're going to get a bunch of elemental tokens, that's not necessarily always going to happen. You can set those up with things like a a Splendid Reclamation, perhaps or um, a scape shift or something like that, you can get them, but you're not always necessarily like, that's not going to be the number one game plan. It's a very different style. And I think that's especially what we are trying to hammer home right now. And especially the uh, the umbrage that you take with Omnath is that the way that he plays is different than the way that Windgrace plays. Yeah. People should definitely expect that when you are yes. building this deck. Yep, yeah, no, that's that's a big part of it.
2: For yeah, sure. having having played Omnath as much as I have, I, I 100% agree. Um, it's two just very divergent strategies between Omnath and Gitrog. Uh, I think people are just trying to play it as a mishmash, and I think that's just what's happening right off the bat, because that's what all the hype was about. You know, oh, this is a perfect combination of our two Landfall Commanders and Jun Colors. So they kind of defaulted to that. I think after, you know, some time passes, people kind of figure out more how the deck plays, what they want to be doing. We're going to get some better wrecks. I don't think that there's going to be quite so many people playing both Omnath and Gitrog in the same deck. I think they're both fine in the deck, but I think that you don't want them both at the same time. I think if you want to go the Gitrog strategy, go explosive with the big plays like Joey mentioned, that's very valid. And that's great because that's that's the type of thing I like to do. But if you want to grind things out, slow things down, play the Gitrog plan a little bit more, that's a different story. And I think people are going to find that, you know, the, yes, there's a lot of overlap in those cards, between those two commander decks but i don't think in this type of situation you want both of them doing their thing at the same time because one's going to pull away from the other
0: i mean i still would love to have both omnath and gitrog in play i actually think they're both really solid includes for the deck but i do need to anticipate like when i was building this deck a friend of mine was helping me and he would ask me about x y or z card and i would say oh because i expect this deck is going to be really explosive based off of my experience with gitrog and he's like no no And that's when I had to take a a quick look at the deck, and I'm like, yeah, no, you're right. I'm not going to have nearly the same style of explosive turns as I did when I was playing a Gitrog monster deck, or even when I was trying out Omnath, or even when I was trying out Titania, when I would... Put Titania into play, get a land back, and then sacrifice a bunch of lands and attack someone with my hasty 5 3 elementals. That's it, can happen in this deck, but it's not always going to be there because you do have to find those actual landfall payoff cards. Or Windgrace is definitely all about that consistent and gradual value. So you're more likely to be making several 5 5 elemental tokens with your Omnath over the course of a couple of turns than you are, you know, putting an Omnath into play and making 18. That
1: right. Th- that's kind of the misleading thing about a landfall deck because people look at it and they're assuming like, oh, well, I'm going to you know have nine mana out by turn four because I've got all these ramp spells. And yes, you can do that. But if you do that, you run the risk of having no more land ramp in your hand when you play your things that need you to ramp lands to get landfall triggers. So there's a there's a thing where you need, you kind of need to hold back at times with how fast you put lands in the field so you can have things in play that care that you're putting lands in the field. So there's a little bit of internal fight there going on, and you have to figure out that balance. And that's one of my problems with Omnath, I think, is technically you can have that mana very quickly, but maybe you don't want to have it out because you're going to want to put it all out once Omnath's out. And I think he he's a real... one of the cards that causes that struggle to be most apparent.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair, even though I do think that they're both really solid-includes for the deck. Uh, but there are some other cards that we should criticize. We spent a lot of time talking about Omnath... Uh, know what are some other cards that you don't think should be included at the rate that we're seeing them included from that pre-con upgrade guide?
1: I think Borbo Enraged um, isn't a great fit for the deck necessarily either. Um, I think he, even more than, than Omneth, fights against what you want to do. For starters, he also has kind of a pain-in-the-butt mana cost. He's eight mana, and it's also two pairs of double pips, double red, double green, four colorless. And while he does things with land, he wants you to discard lands to bolt people, that kind of fights against what the rest of the deck wants to do. The rest of the deck wants you to be putting lands into play to get landfall triggers. Borbo wants you to keep lands in hand and discard them. So there's some overlap because you've you've got is minus three to bring lands back into play from your graveyard. And that's fine if that was the only interaction. But you have so many other cards that want you putting lands into play from your hand. I just think he's he's fighting against too many other things a deck is doing for a card that costs that much.
0: I think that's really fair, but Borgamos Enraged, he didn't make my personal list either. I don't think he was ever in for consideration for in for consideration for very long, to be honest. Um, and Dana, I see you've got one other card here that you'd like to criticize that people are including as well, and that's Worldbreaker.
1: Yeah, that one actually really surprised me, because he doesn't even have a landfall-related ability. I mean, kind of. You can sacrifice um, a land to bring him back to your hand, um, so I guess maybe if he were just like searching scryfall for keyword land or something, maybe they saw it and were like, oh yeah, world but man, seven mana, that was, that card was an absolute beast in standard at the time, but I just don't know if in commander seven mana for that body just to, just to destroy one permanent is ever really worth it for that much mana. You could just cast trusted on and I don't like trusted on that much.
0: I think I'd much rather play an Acidic Slime at that mana, yeah, or less mana, actually, and it's a Death Touch blocker for your Planeswalker. That yep. seems a little bit more more solid, I think. Matt, are there any inclusions or exclusions that you think are pretty prominent here, things that people are taking out that you think maybe they shouldn't, or cards that people are putting in that you think maybe they shouldn't?
2: Um, I very much agree with the Boba Rigmost Enraged call. Um, I think just there's, for that much mana, like, you want to be winning the game, and, and Bobo's not really going to be winning you the game anytime soon, because... He needs so much more help. Uh, I don't. I just don't like that, really. Um, one card that I actually, I guess, controversially don't like in Omnath Lucas of Rage decks, and it's one of the most played cards in Omnath, is Zendikar's Royal for five mana. Um, only getting a 2-2. If you're playing token doublers, if that's kind of the strategy you're going down, Zendikar's Royal is great. I, I just don't think that you want to spend five mana, spend your whole turn if you're doing it early or doing it late with an empty hand it doesn't really do a whole lot. It's kind of like Bobo. It needs too much help by the time it comes down that a lot of times it may not be doing a whole lot. 22s Two are fine. I just I've never been fond of it. I ran, I also ran that in my angry omnath deck and it it never did a whole lot for me. Sure it at max it maybe got me three maybe four tokens, but then somebody blew it up. So yeah, I, I'm just—I've never really been a big fan of that. And uh, 26% of of the decks on the site are adding it to the precon. That's probably fine. I just—I don't think I would put it in there personally, just because I—I've never really been a big fan of it. And Lotus Cobra, I don't like Lotus Cobra at all, guys. Only being able to get one mana per land, and then it just goes away at the end of the turn or at the end of the phase. So say you—you know—you play your land go to combat, you don't get to carry it over, then you do something big after combat, stuff like that. Unless you're doing stuff like Splendid Reclamation or or getting you know multiple mana from it per turn, I don't really like Lotus Cobra. I tried it for a long time, longer than I should have probably, and it might empower one massive explosive play off of a Splendid Reclamation or a World Shaper, uh, something cool like that. But nine times out of ten, guys, Lotus Cobra just has always felt blah like you're maybe getting one more mana per turn you may as well just play a you know a mana
0: dork okay well i don't i don't quite agree with that i am actually running lotus cobra in my wind grace deck i'm so sorry confession there i, I think um, lotus cobra
1: is really reliant on how many fetches you're running if you've got like three fetches in the deck it's probably uninspiring if you're running every fetch you can run plus Terramorphic Expanse and Evolving Wilds and you know uh, Blooded Woodlands and Myriad Landscape. And if you've got like fetches packed where very regularly you're gonna be getting a double landfall trigger because you're doing fetch into land, then it's it's a ridiculously good card. But if you're not building that way, I, I can
0: agree with you. It's it's the type of card that I think it goes a bit into the sort of the, the theme that we've been discussing this whole episode. Lord Windgrace really puts forward a very consistent value engine. And you're going to have to, not that he is certainly capable of explosive turns. You can absolutely do scapeshift awesome stuff with this guy, but you are going to have to work for it a little bit harder than you would in a Gitrog deck, because you're drawing a bajillion cards that way, or in an Omnath deck who gives you immense rewards for all of those landfall triggers. Like those decks are built slightly differently than Windgrace because he's not giving you any actual landfall abilities of his own. So Lotus Cobra is kind of in that category there. I still do personally like it, even if it is only giving me a couple of extra mana pips here and there uh for a couple of turns i still like it but i can see what you're saying it's another one of those cards like omnath where we want to make sure that folks are aware that this deck plays fundamentally differently than the decks like omnath the other more classic landfall guys
2: i was i think instead of playing lotus cobra um, play like amulet of vigor that way a lot of your ramp spells that you know put multiple lands per turn but they come into play tapped play amulet of vigor it's one less mana But it untaps those lands so you can have, you know, you can do a Far Wanderings and it's basically a free ramp spell because those lands come into play untapped. Um, Stuff like that I think is going to be a little more consistently good for you because you can play more of your other ramp spells. It's going to untap those lands that would normally come into play tapped. I think that is going to be consistently more impactful for you than a
0: Lotus Cobra will. Since especially that would leave up mana for your instance or something like that. Exactly. Windgrace's Judgment, which is an awesome card. I, I can see what you mean there. I do kind of like both, but I, I can see what you're talking about there. Uh, a couple of other cards that I think are a little suspect that we're seeing going into this whole, you know, Wind Grace is not Gitrog. I'm a little suspicious of the 15% of decks so far that are including Sylvan Safekeeper. I really like this awesome, awesome human wizard. It's a one mana, one one. It's a green human wizard. It says sacrifice a land, target creature you control gains shroud until end of turn. That was like the all-star in my Gitrog deck. But here, where my commander's not even a creature, and most of the creatures that I'll put out that have awesome landfall effects, they make tokens like Omnath or something. Like I don't necessarily need to protect the Omnath. I need to protect my whole board. So I would prefer maybe like a heroic intervention in that slot or something to that effect, or. I don't know, it's something that's going to keep my board alive rather than a specific creature, because while Lord Windgrace can return those lands from the graveyard, it just, I, I don't know, that seems like, and that's one of those cards that I had really wanted to put in because I was like, this was so great in Gitrog, but it might not necessarily be here. One card that is going to be amazing both in Gitrog and in Windgrace, however, is Realms Uncharted. This is only showing up right now in 9% of the Windgrace decks that are being upgraded from the pre-con so far. And man, it should be way higher than 9%. I'm calling this my official challenge the stats for this week. Because Realms Uncharted is a 3-mana instant in green. It says, search your library for 4 land cards with different names and reveal them. An opponent chooses 2 of those cards, put those cards into your graveyard and the rest into your hand, then shuffle your library. You get any. Four lands. They don't have to be basics. Put two of them into the yard where Lord Windgrace can immediately put them back into play with his minus three ability. Are you kidding? That's amazing. That's fantastic. And the other two, like, if you want to get your Urborg and Cabal Coffers combo, you got it with your Realms Uncharted. That card's absolutely fantastic, and it should definitely be put into more than just 9% of the Windgrace deck so far.
1: No, I agree. That's a really, really good card in this deck. It's a good card in
0: general, but it's a really good card in this deck so we're gonna move now we've been talking a lot about some of these other cards that we're seeing cut some cards that we're seeing added and right now in front of us we've got what appears to be the average deck according to edh rec for lord Windgrace. based off of all of this stuff we can just use that average deck feature for lord Windgrace, and we come up with a pretty cool list it still has some of those cards that we talked about that maybe we're not as big fans of it's got some of those cards that we talked about that we are big fans of but let's criticize a bit more cards that maybe we think do or don't deserve a place in lord Windgrace. are there any standouts for you guys um
1: well i think the first thing you want to do with your lord Wingray grace deck is i think you need to to, to sit down and, and figure out whether you want to primarily go tall or primarily go wide you don't have to commit 100 to one of those two things but they are going to make you put different cards in the deck if you're leaning towards going tall you don't care about doubling season but you absolutely do care about greater good whereas if you're looking at going wide with tokens, doubling season becomes an amazing card and greater good becomes not something you'd ever consider. So I think you want to have that you want to make that determination right away because there's enough cards that don't flex back and forth and I think you want to figure that out before you go any further.
0: Yeah, that's not a bad tip at all. Are there any other specific cards that jump out to you in those categories?
1: Um well, like one of the ones Matt mentioned before was the um, Zendikar, Zendikar's Royal um, isn't like an amazing card. But if you're leaning into going wide and you're you know running Parallel Eyes and you're running Doubling Season, that's probably one that you want to keep in that deck. Whereas if you are not doing that, if, if you're you know going to go tall, that doesn't really do you any good at all. I definitely get why Matt doesn't think it should be in that many decks. So that's one that kind of jumped out at me. I think Baduka Gardner is a fun card and no one sees it and i i get the temptation to run it because it's the kind of thing that you know doesn't show up in other decks so being able to run weird kind of corner case cards in your specific deck is always a lot of fun i just don't know if it's fast enough to run here
0: and that's the one uh-huh. it's actually came in the precon. it's a kamigawa flip card so yeah it's a two mana you can tap it to put a land into play and then if you have a certain number of lands it flips over what's that number of lands again uh 10 i believe Ten? Oof, that's quite a lot. But, you know, it's Wind Grace. Hopefully sure. we should be able to get there with all these lands. And then its opposite ability is pay six mana and tap it once it's been flipped. And then you can put a creature into play that has power toughness equal to the number of lands you got. So that does go tall. It does make tokens. Yep. But I'm with you that it just seems slow.
1: And that's also one that probably is a little bit misleading because you're like, well, do you want it in your go tall deck? Do you want it in your token deck? Because it could go either way. And I just don't know if it's fast enough to go in either necessarily.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of cards that are really like in this average deck. Now that we've taken a look at some of the cards that are being cut, some of the cards that are, are being added, and we've gone to EDHREC and just used that average deck feature, there's some really cool stuff. We've still got Avenger of Zendikar. We've got Eternal Witnesses here. That's awesome. Mina and Den still shows up. We're still seeing that Omnath, even though Dana might be a little bit of a curmudgeon about it. Hey, Oracle of Moldiah is showing up here. But there are a few creatures that I'm not really a fan of, such as Centaur Vinecrasher. So Centaur Vinecrasher is a 4-mana 1-1 plant centaur. It does have trample, which is cool, but it says it enters the battlefield with a number of plus-one counters on it equal to the number of lands in all graveyards. Kind of neat. And whenever a land card is put into a graveyard from anywhere, you may pay green-green, and if you do, return Centaur Vinecrasher from your graveyard to your hand. And I've wanted to like this card for a long time. I've tried it in Gitrog, I've tried it in Titania, and it just never performed. So even though it could be a card that sort of goes tall it's just i don't think it's necessarily worth the cut here it's just a little awkward i want desperately to like that one but it just doesn't quite it doesn't really work so matt looking at this average deck for wind grace what are some cards that you would uh probably poke at and take out
2: uh i think gaze of granite's kind of weak i think for the mana that you have to invest in it to do a whole lot i just don't think it's really worth it i think if you scroll down a little bit. Uh, you get to one of my favorite new cards. Uh, one of Dean Goody. Uh, he talked about it when he came on the podcast. Torment to Hellfire. That's a little bit further down the list, but it's a little more mana efficient, and it just it's going to wreck their board no matter what. Um, it doesn't backfire on you, which is the really nice part. Because if you're playing some mana dorks, you're playing some some smaller enchantments, smaller artifacts, stuff like that. Torment to Hellfire for the mana is just going to be a much better payoff, I think. So yeah, I would probably take out Gaze of Granite. Rune's Path, it's just slow. I think Hero's Downfall. If you wanna be animating your lands, I think there's definitely a strategy there to be had. But I just think Runus Path at that point, if you're spending seven mana to awaken one of your lands for a four four and you know, killing a creature, I think just play Hero's Downfall. I think even like Vraska's Contempt just for the speed sake of it is gonna be a little bit better. Runus Path, it's just slow. Um I'm not really yeah,
0: it's a good effect to destroy a creature or a planeswalk. Oh, yeah, I'm. I'm with you at sorcery speed. It doesn't quite tickle my fancy either. Yeah,
2: yeah. Just sorcery speed. It's just too slow. I think, especially when you're trying to grind everything out, you need to be able to react a little bit quicker. So yeah, that's why I think, like, like I said, Heroes Downfall is probably what I would be playing over that. I think people are just looking for a reason to play awaken cards in this deck. Uh, yeah, that's definitely going to be something that you're going to see. You know, in, in the recs on the page. And then as we scroll down a little bit more, like I think Toxic Deluge, if you wanna, you know, knock out a bunch of creatures, a bunch of stuff. Toxic Deluge is just one of the best. Pay one mana and three or pay one life and three mana, you know, get rid of all those one ones and you're golden. So just a little, you know, so a few utility cards like that, I think, probably probably should get a little more love than they are right now.
0: Yeah, there's another just on the subject of we've been talking about a couple of cards that we think are maybe a little slow seer sundial would have to get the axe for me i'm not sure why that's showing up in the average Windgrace deck it must be because it came in the pre-con so there's a bit of a pre-con effect happening here but as much as i want to like seer sundial i just don't think you need it i'd much rather run an effect like we've discussed on a previous cast uh knight's whisper or one of my favorites painful truths to get some just immediate one-shot effects to get a bunch of cards into your hand Seer sundial it's the four mana artifact that says landfall pay two to draw a card and while that sounds cool, because we'll be getting hopefully a lot of landfall effects with Lord Windgrace's you know consistent value engine, that's just way too much mana. Windgrace himself will be drawing you cards that you need, I think. So that's that's not a great one for me. Yeah,
2: I Dana, think, Dana, I, Dana, think okay. Seer, I, th- I think instead of sears, I think instead of sears Sundow, just play Horn of Greed because you're going to be able to take advantage of the of the lands that people are drawing more than the the other players, and two you know, you see a, a Seer Sundial, people are going to be motivated to get rid of it because you're the only person drawing cards from it. If somebody plays a Horn of Greed, people are going to be like, well, I'm going to get a little bit more from it too. So they're going to be a little more likely just to, you know, politic your way into keeping it around longer and then just make sure that your card value is better whenever you're drawing
0: cards than your opponents. That makes sense to me too. Dana, are there any other cards that you see in this average deck that you'd advocate probably not running for grace.
1: Grizzly Salvage is a card that I think is really good in decks that use a graveyard maybe a little bit more than this, but I don't know if that effect, just to put a couple of lands in the graveyard that maybe you can bring back with Wind Grace or maybe Splendid Reclamation, like, I just don't know if that effect is that good in this particular kind of deck. Um, I get why it's ran in certain builds, but I don't know if this is it. I think you're gonna be putting enough lands in your graveyard just using Wind Grace's plus one that you don't need to be putting them there with Grizzly Salvage. And if you don't need to be putting them there with Grizzly Salvage, it's just a bad draw spell.
0: Yeah, I'm on board for that one too. So we have been attacking a couple of different cards that we're seeing in the average deck here for Lord Windgrace, but let's move now to a definitely more exciting part. And that's the cards that aren't showing up here that we think definitely should. So these are some pretty cool cards that we haven't seen on the precon upgrade guide just yet, and cards that we haven't seen that are being added also sort of erroneously here and there that happen to make it into the average deck according to EDH rec. What are some other really cool inclusions that you guys think should definitely show up for Lord Windgrace? Maybe some of the rare cards that people haven't heard about. What do you got?
1: Well, I've got a pair that aren't that... That vague but i think are, are a pair of cards that you'd run for draw spells depending on which way you want to go i think if you want to go tall risk cards expertise should be in this deck because if you're going mm-hmm. tall that that multani drawing you 18 cards off of uh expertise is insanely effective but if you aren't going tall if you're going wide you're making a lot of tokens shamanic rev is oftentimes really really good at five mana drawing a card for each creature you control and if you happen to have ferocious you gain four life for each creature you control with power four or greater many times in, the, in, in a go wide deck here if you are playing angry omnath for example if you decided to go that route and play you know with delving season and parallel lives or something Shamanic rev is oftentimes going to draw you you know a dozen cards and gain you 16 18 20 life something along those lines so I think both of those cards, you know, you can swap one for the other depending on how you build the deck, but both of those would be great includes depending on which way you decide to build.
2: Yeah, they're pretty solid. Yeah, and just going off the the card draw aspect of it, even I mean, you were talking about, like, Life's Legacy a little bit earlier. I think that's a fine card that, you you know, in this type of deck you could add um, and still get, you know, plenty of value out of. I'm surprised people aren't playing more like Perilous Forays or anything like that. But then looking at at the average deck list, people aren't playing a lot of basics so
0: that's definitely something that you want to have around yeah I I actually that's something that I encountered when I was building this deck myself as well I don't have nearly as much room for basics as I want and that's actually one of the things that I was going to bring up a little bit later too I guess I'll bring it up now is to Folks, run as many basics as you possibly can, and in fact, run as many lands as you possibly can. I'm talking like if you can reach 44, that would be probably great because you need lands to discard with Wind Grace. And a lot of the cards that you're going to want to run here are, you know, things like Fetch Lands or things like the Urborg and Cabal Coffer combo, cards like Petrified Field, uh, Command Peacon if you got it, Bounce Lands. Like, there's a whole bunch of non basic lands that you're definitely going to want to run here because it's such a cool utility land type of deck but that's not going to leave you with enough stuff to actually go fetch with your Kodama's Reaches and your Cultivates. Like a card like Boundless Realms, for example, that was one of my favorites when I was running a two-color Omnath deck because it would get me a ton of landfall triggers. But here, I don't think I have enough basic lands to pay it off. So that might be why we're not seeing that Parallels Forays card, Matt.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, you still are in three colors, so you can play all your shock lands. You can play, you know, and it. it bear in mind, it does get anything with a basic land type. So you can get your cycle lands, anything that's fetchable, you can get with Perilous Forays, so that's something important to keep in mind, but still you're you're fairly limited in a three-color deck. Perilous forays just man, there aren't a lot of sac outlets in this in the the basic deck list to begin with. I think that's one that ties into the deck very, very well. So I I just I think the average deck list it was only running what, 13, 14 basic lands. That's way too low, if, if you ask me. Like I always try to make at least half of my mana base basic lands. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not I'm not playing a bunch of three color, but in something like this where you're going to see a lot of different lands throughout the course of the game, odds are you're you're going to be able to find all the lands that you need for all the colors that you need in a deck like this. So playing more basic lands is something we talked about on uh, the Budget Brews episode when Andrew Cummings came on. He encouraged play more basic lands because a lot of times you know those minuscule percentage points that you're going to earn is it really worth not having the deck because you don't have a perfect mana base? Just get the get the deck out there and just play more mana like people are going to play blood moon. There's people like me out there guys. <laughs> They're going to play blood moon and commander and and in a mana hungry deck like this like you you're just not going to be able to get away with
0: it. Yeah, well, I definitely run lands and really criticize the non-basics that you're trying to put into this deck because you'll find when you're actually playing all of those awesome ramp spells that you might not have as much room as you thought you did. Uh, so, you, you know, you want to make sure that you have lands to go fetch if you're trying to get those landfall effects or you're trying to grow your Multanis. That's definitely something to keep in mind. I've got a smattering of cards here that I really enjoyed uh, as kind of cool secret tech or I suppose not so secret tech uh, into Windgrace. Number one of them is Constant Mists. Definitely not a secret card, but for some reason, one that we're not seeing show up in a lot of uh, Windgrace decks so far. Constant Miss is a two-mana instant with buyback, sacrifice a land, and it says creatures deal no combat damage this turn. So in other words, for two-mana, you can prevent combat damage to you and your Planeswalker as much as you want, and then Wind Grace can just shoot those lands right back into play on the next turn. This is an amazing fog that has also seen a lot of play probably in that Gitrog list as well because, you know, sacrifice a land, prevent damage, and draw a card with Gitrog's ability. Sounds pretty great. Another card that Dana, I think one of your... Uh, Other co-hosts on your CMDR Central podcast will be really happy that I'm running is Seasons Past. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is a card that I've heard from your podcast before. And once I tried it the first time, I was like, whoa, this is so cool. So Seasons Past is a 6-mana, 4-green-green sorcery. It says, return any number of cards with different converted mana costs from your graveyard to your hand. Then put Seasons Past on the bottom of its owner's library. This seemed really unassuming to me the first time that I saw it. I'm like, oh, you know, it's okay. Why wouldn't I just run Praetor's Council or something? But man, I the just the six mana makes it actually very doable. And especially with this particular Lord Windgrace deck, he's a lot about the I guess you'd call it a land dance or something is something I've heard that players refer to it where you're getting lands from your hand into the graveyard, into play, back to your hand or vice versa. Like these lands are hopping very gradually. You're going through a sort of a cycle of seasons with your lands where they're dead and then they're back and then they're in your hand and you're playing them or all of those. And Seasons Past really ties into that circular graveyard theme as well. And it also just keeps your stuff, like all of those cool landfall payoff cards that you are going for, like Omnath or something, they're going to die. You know that Gitrog. It's probably gonna have a target on its back, and if it doesn't get exiled, you can get it right back with this awesome spell to get a whole bunch of cards back into your hand. I just, this one's really, really impressed me.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good card, and in this deck, it's a perfect it's a perfect spot for it. Yeah.
0: What are some other cards, Dana, that you think people should be playing more of that we're not seeing in the average deck so far?
1: Uh, I think Glacial Chasm should be in there. For those who don't know, Glacial Chasm is a land that has cumulative upkeep, pay two life. And it comes into play to sacrifice a land, which is a bit of a downside. Plus, it doesn't tap for mana, which also isn't great. However, creatures you control can't attack, which is even worse. So, this is a terrible land. Why are you playing it? Well, <laughs> the very final clause in the card says prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. Not all not combat, combat damage. damage. It's all damage, all damage just full stop. So Is it all damage, guys? It's all damage. It's all, all damage. Huh. That's ridiculously good. Just in general, but this is a deck where if you get sick of playing that cumulative upkeep, you can let it be sacrificed. And then you have just on a stick there, your commander lets you bring lands from your graveyard back into play. So not only can you, when that upkeep gets kind of high, sacrifice it and bring it back, but it lets you sacrifice it, actually swing at somebody if you need to to deal damage, which you normally couldn't do, and then bring it back with Windgrace's minus three to have it back in play, making you bulletproof once again.
0: Yeah, such a powerhouse of a land. And actually, I see on the notes here that you've got one other land to suggest as well. So Glacial Chasm, really, really cool. But so is this next one, Ghost Town.
1: Yeah, and I think we discussed Ghost Town in one of the earlier shows.
0: That's right. I mentioned it as a really solid inclusion for Omnath, Locus of Rage. And I think it's even better here.
1: Yeah, I mean, being able, number one, it taps for mana, unlike the Glacial Chasm. But being able to return it to your hand during another player's turn so you can't do it on your turn... But you can always guarantee you have a landfall trigger then. And and, and that's important, but it's even more important in a deck like this where you have multiple creatures and multiple abilities to do more than one landfall per turn, whether it's Azusa or Mina and Den or, or whatever. You know, it's pretty easy to get one landfall every turn, but if you're playing two or three lands per turn, it's oftentimes difficult to have that many cards in your hand to successfully get those landfall triggers. Ghost Town lets you get that second landfall trigger really, really consistently. So good in this deck, and it absolutely is one that you should be including.
0: Yeah, even if you're just bouncing it on someone else's turn, so that on your turn you can discard it with Lord Windgrace, so you draw two different cards. Like that's a good failsafe. One of the things you don't want to run into this into with this deck is that you'll run out of lands in hand, so you're just discarding any card to draw a different card. You'd rather discard lands so that you can actually get that more persistent actual card advantage rather than just rummaging for one card. So I definitely like that land here.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and, and you know, you one more I'll mention here briefly. We mentioned at the top of the show, but. Odds are very, very high the person you're going against doesn't have a Gideon Champion of Justice in hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sylvan Awakening is a great card. I stand by my recommendation to my friend despite the fact that it killed him. But three mana to make all your lands two, two elemental creatures that have Indestructible and Haste. And they have a reach if you need to leave one back as a blocker. Like that's just going to kill people pretty often in this deck when you're at like 18 or 20 lands or something on turn 11 should the game go that long. And you're like maybe struggling to close it out and all of a sudden you top deck that. Oh, I'm just going to kill that guy across the table because he's got three blockers and I can throw, you know, 16 creatures at him that are indestructible too. You're not going to lose your lands. That, that's just That card is just going to win games for people and it should be in the deck.
0: Yeah, this and that's really the thing that we're trying to walk away with, you know. We've been talking about a whole bunch of different cards here and there for Windgrace, but really on the whole what we're trying to get at is that Windgrace himself, he plays very differently than the cards that we usually expect. He's a lot more gradual, but he is certainly leading towards a game state that will just be impossible to overcome for your opponents. You'll get to so many lands that your Multani will be just super lethal. You'll get to so many lands that a Sylvan Awakening will be insane value. Like, he's leading you on a really awesome path. No pun intended, because I think he's literally, like, on a path in his art. But anyway, that's a separate issue. The, the final thing that I do want to point out, something that I'm, I guess, a little proud of, uh, is just that usually in pre-con decks, when we take a look at those uh, those pages for these pre-con commanders, we see that pre-con effect rear its ugly head. We see a whole bunch of cards that are in the deck that maybe shouldn't be. And man, when I take a look at Lord Windgrace's EDH rec page, the the precon effect has just been completely blown out of the water. Even if we have a couple of these cards that we're nitpicking at here and there, things that we think you know you could replace X card with maybe something that's marginally better, Y card or something better here, Z card or whatever. Like we're seeing a lot of really awesome, not from the precon cards here to make the deck that people wanted. And I'm just I'm, I'm happy to see that that precon effect isn't actually showing it up as much on the Lord Windgrace page.
1: Yeah, looking at this this kind of average deck list. It feels like a really really good um version 1.0 of that Lord Grey's Windfall deck which makes sense since the deck's been out for, you know, 3 weeks. So like if if this is your first rough draft before you've gotten to play it for multiple weeks cuz it oftentimes takes weeks and weeks to like get the proper feel for a deck, if this is your rough dra- your like first draft, you're in really good shape.
0: Yeah. And again, one more of those final things to leave off with that but- Lord Windgrace, he's, he's very different than the commanders that I think people expect him to play like, and that's just the final, I don't know, the button that I want to put on this particular thing with Lord Windgrace is that cards like Omnath, cards like uh, Gitrog, they represent what I would call payoff commanders, where they actually do a thing and the rest of your deck, the 99, will support that thing, but they're the ones who are giving you the actual value. Gitrog is drawing you cards, Omnath is making you stuff. But then Wingrace, he's more of what I'd call an enabler commander. He doesn't actually have any of those payoffs himself, but he does enable them really, really well. And I guess it kind of comes down to, Dana, you've got a Mina and Den deck, which is also more of an enabler, whereas some other folks would have the Omnath, which is more the payoff. So, like... You should expect while building Lord Windgrace that that style of deck will play very, very differently. It's a bit like uh, I recently wrote an Amanatu versus Yannette article for my Commander Showdown series. An Amanatu is an enabler. She puts cards back on top of your library. Or if you're my friend that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, she puts cards top on uh, back on top of your library and then you draw a card, which does nothing. So just kidding. That aside... Aminatu will enable things like your miracle cards. She'll be able to put stuff on top of your library to flip with a baneful omen. But Yannette is the actual payoff as well. She'll actually, like when she attacks, she doesn't enable that strategy. She just has the payoff for them. And there's kind of that same relationship happening here with Lord Windgrace. He's more of an enabler than he is a payoff commander. That kind of stuff. So make sure that you're aware of that distinction because the styles of commanders that we see here are, are definitely different. And I just want to make sure with this episode that you know, we let people know that you're going to maybe have a different experience than you expect. Or at least I guess I'm letting people know that I'm having a different experience with Windgrace than I expected because I foolishly assumed that he would play the same as Gitrog and he, and he just doesn't. Which is also a really good thing ultimately as well. I'm glad that he hasn't played like my old deck because I want a new deck. So anyway, I'll quit my rambling, but it's definitely something to keep in mind that he's a very fundamentally different style than the other cards that we've seen in the same uh, style of landfall strategy.
2: Yeah, it's almost like there's different types of players, different preferences out there, and uh,
0: we're able to kind of acknowledge
2: <laughs> that now and and address that and give everybody something that
0: they want. Well, it's just funny for me, I guess. Like, I built a Yannette deck and not an Amanatu deck because I, I guess in my usual style, I tend to prefer decks that are the payoff commanders or Mimeoplasm or Marin. Like, those are things that I would qualify as a payoff commander rather than an enabler. But it sounds like maybe you guys, like... Dana, you mentioned that you have uh, the Mina and Den deck. It sounds like maybe you prefer more of that enabler style of, of commander.
1: I do, for sure. I never really thought about it in terms of enable or payoff, although that makes complete sense. I always think of it in terms of whether or not the commander is the focus of the deck and what makes things happen, which I guess is what an enabling is, versus the commander is being a cog in the machine, which is what would be a payoff card for the most part. And I always like the cog in the machine play style, so... I like – because it feels like I'm less vulnerable then, like when you're playing an Omnath deck and you lose Omnath, that tends to shut – that tends to cascade into everything below it. So once you lose that enabler, it makes it somewhat challenging sometimes to do the things the deck wants to do, whereas the payoff commander is just a value engine usually, and you can still do all your things without it. I tend to much prefer having multiple ways to get where I want to go that isn't reliant on the commander I like the commanders that I can play them optionally. Like if I never play my commander, it doesn't necessarily hurt anything. But if I do, it makes the things I'm doing even better. Cause I feel like I'm less likely to be shut down. So looking at it as an enabler and payoff versus the way I was looking at, it, it really makes a lot of sense. I like that. I like that wording a lot more than kind of the way I was thinking at it.
0: Yeah. Matt, is there maybe one of those strategies that you prefer? I'm just curious.
2: I like explosive plays. I I know I play, I play sixty card Magic competitively. That's my competitive outlet, just to get everything out there and just focus and and fine tune everything. You know, really get down and you know with the deck building process. Whereas Commander, I just want to blow some stuff up. I want to play Ruination and play all my basics and you know go big um, and just see like how ridiculous of plays I can I can make. I mean, when Dana said Rishkar's expertise, like that's just such a good card. Draw a stack of cards, play something for free. So, I I like that's why I think I like Omnath so much because you can just kind of, you know, sneak up a little bit and all of a sudden just you explode and you have this army of tokens all of a sudden. So, I think the way that you put it, yeah, I I think maybe I like the the payoff cards a little bit more just to stick with that analogy. That might be why, you know, uh, one of our listeners, he said uh, that Dana, he's always about the the high floor. You know, how, you know, how is it going to consistently be good? Whereas Matt, he just likes the big EDH of EDH stuff whenever he's playing. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much right. So,
0: well, it's, it's, even if they're swingy,
1: it's dead yeah. out in this case because because my Mina and Den deck was originally Omnath, and after I switched to Mina and Den, I liked it so much more as Mina and Den because it felt so much more consistent <laughs> um sure in, sure i don't know if safe is the right word but like that's funny because like the same kind of deck style you like the one so much more than me and i like the other one a lot more for those exact reasons yeah, that, yeah i mean that's that's perfect
2: how yeah and it's just it's a chance you know all the other formats that i play i don't get a chance to you know go explosive you know if when it comes to 60 card formats i'm very much like dana how can we control the situations how can we you know, just make sure we take out all that variance so that there's no one way we're getting shut down. I love toolbox decks, stuff like that. That that's neither here nor there though. But with Commander, I just I want to see how big I can get. Can I cast a Genesis wave for 40? Let's do it. So yeah, I, I think that's why, you know, I kinda tend to the more explosive, maybe, you know, easier to shut down. Definitely. Maybe kind of a one trick pony type of decks. Like that's how it was with Valduck. I, I was playing him last time and they killed him three times. And then I just kind of sat there and didn't do anything the rest of the game because, you know, they shut down that one thing I was supposed to be doing. I've definitely been in games where Omnath he got shut down, he got killed three or four times, and I just ran out of gas and lost the game. So yeah, I, I definitely have been there. But that's just that's fun for me. And that's great about the format is there's there's no one way to play Lord Windgrace or
0: Omnath or any of these decks. Yeah, it's definitely a commander that helps grease the wheels, and I I do like that. I'm really looking forward to this deck. Listeners, you can absolutely take a look in our show notes, and we'll have that link to all of our different decks that we're going to be putting onto that account, so that you can take a look, especially at Windgrace, or the old Najeela deck, or even a whole bunch of other stuff. You can probably even take a look at that Valduk deck that Matt couldn't help but mention because he's apparently contractually obligated to mention Valduk on every EDH Reccast episode. In, in
2: my defense,
0: you did talk about graveyards earlier, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I will always talk about graveyards, Matt. I love graveyards. Everyone needs yes. to love graveyards. Shout out They're to the so listener who
2: called Joey out and, and, and made sure, even though I, I do mention Valduk. <laughs> Admittedly, he is very fun
0: though, but we all have our vices. That was that was a fun time. I do give you a hard time about mentioning Valdo, but you're right. Oh, yeah. I can't stop talking about Graveyard. That's the best thing ever.
2: We we all have our we all have our
0: our fallbacks and our, our go tos. <laughs> Absolutely. So, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this taking a look at the precon upgrade guide. You should definitely go check out Nate's article so that you can you know see all of the other awesome featured commanders and the cards that people are putting into them, the cards that people are taking out. You can take a look at the Lord Windgrace brew that I came up with, and I hope that this episode has been really enlightening for you. But for now, we're going to call it to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts for joining me, and if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all?
2: Matt? So you can find me on the Twitterverse, at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5.
1: And you can find me on Twitter, at Dana Roach. And you can hear me once a week talking about Commander on my other podcast, Commander Central.
0: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Alrighty, so a special thanks to our editor, Ken Petal. He is known as Ken Eshnorn on Twitter, but he can actually be found at the handle, Loader. He is, That's, he is at Loader. load 3 R very sorry for getting that wrong on a previous episode, but thank you for holding me accountable. You can follow EDH Rec and EDH EDHRECcast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when EDH EDHRECcast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So, head on over there, smash those like buttons, and you get a chance at a really cool prize. You can also contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com, and you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Rude, Commander's Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.
1: I, I know Jason has threatened to do like a, you know, review of everyone, and he's, <laughs> he threatened that last year too and didn't do it. Yeah. So maybe he, maybe he won't do it again this year. Who knows? Who
2: knows?